God takes on humanity for its own salvation, uh, to save humankind. He takes on the, the form of a servant, of a slave, a doulos, in order to walk with mankind, in order to teach mankind, in order to be a part of mankind. To say that he's the son of man is to say that he is a part of our salvation history. Welcome back to Real God. Today we're talking again with Pastor Seth Davidson, and today we're talking about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Is Jesus really the Son of God? And how do we know that Jesus is the Son of God? There are a lot of other messianic gods uh, that are out there. There are Persian gods, Greek gods, and so forth. And they have all seemed to kind of have the same story as Jesus. And a lot of times you will hear that argument that the story of Jesus was taken from these gods. Okay, Seth, so I am going to read this passage here. And I want you to tell me, is this Jesus or is this a different sure. messianic god? All right. So this person, without giving anything away, this person was was born to a virgin on December 25th in a cave attended by shepherds. He was considered a great traveling teacher. He had 12 disciples. He promised immortality, performed miracles. He was uh, buried in a tomb and rose three days later. He was celebrated every year at the time of his resurrection. He was called Good Shepherd and was recognized as the Lion and the Lamb and also celebrated the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. Wow. That's a pretty good one. Uh First of all, I would ask you, what's your source on that information? Because when you get into the other God stuff, you have so many different um, gods that are on there. So I'm going to go with the most common one and just guess here. Uh, man, I feel like I'm on Jeopardy. Um, <laughs> what is, I said, what is Horus for 500? What is Horus? You did not get it. At least you didn't say Jesus. <laughs> uh, it is actually the Persian god Mithras. Oh, Mithras! I knew Mithras. Mithras was only born of a virgin because he came out of the side of a cave. And as we both know, December 25th has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus or the day he was born. And so this, and then this idea kind of came out uh, 360 AD. Oh, man. So, uh, 360 AD. So you're talking, what, 40 years post-Nicaea? Yeah. Oh, wow. So the church declares who Jesus is and affirms what everybody already believed about the divinity and humanity of Christ. And then a, a, a cult comes out and says, no, that's from another God. That right. would surprise. Why would somebody ever doubt Jesus? I'm being completely rhetorical and satirical by saying that. Well, you know, the amazing thing is these other gods, um, right. these other uh, messianic gods, most of them, except for... Uh, Man, who was Osiris? All of them wow. except for Osiris were after Jesus. Osiris was before mm. Jesus. So when people kind of come at you at you know Jesus is not is just a rip off of other gods. Well, the other gods came after the story of Jesus came. I'll say about ninety percent of those that I hear about, and it's funny because you'll hear it every year, right as we're getting into Holy Week. This is when I get all the questions about the foreign gods. That's why I just put. Um, one of the other gods down on the table because we as pastors hear about probably 15 other gods right now as we're getting ready for Easter. 
and never fails. And every year, if you notice, they come out with a new book or a new um, text that they magically found, which 90% of it is just um, the Gnostic texts, mm-hmm. uh, which comes from us from 1902, you know, 1914, that area, uh, from a text that was written about 200 or so, goes from 200 AD on, um, about different understandings of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. But most of these cults that you talk about, I mean, you can, you can throw a bunch of these old gods on the table. I know that Quetzalcoatl is one I usually hear about. Mithras is there. Horus is there. Uh, there's a couple other ones that I always get on my across my desk. Yeah. But they always, well, this was when the, when the virgin was born, and they came out of, they had 12 to sign. 90% of that stuff is not even right. Uh, the folks that are coming at the Christian church with those foreign gods don't even have their information right. And so I just kind of smile and hand them a copy of the Nicene Creed and go, this is who Jesus is. And if you want to deal with those foreign gods, let me know how that works out for you. <laughs> right. I'm trying to look something up here. I think it was Osiris because Osiris was baptized. But Os- the difference between baptism and Christianity and Osiris being baptized is Osiris was cut up into a bunch of little pieces before he was thrown into the water. Mm. All of these resurrect resurrecting gods yeah. are spiritual resurrections, and most of them refer to the uh, crop season. They usually come back around the crop season and die off in the winter. Yeah, yeah. The uh, this is this is one actually from the Old Testament that goes right along with all these other gods, uh, Baal and Ashrath, and. Uh, for your younger listeners, you might want to put this on mute for a second, and I'll give you the story of Baal and Ashrath if you want to hear it. Um, this is Baal and Ashrath. They were the ones from the Old Testament, and uh, they had Ashrath poles and poles of Baal. And the two gods, they would try to basically do like a rain dance, but they would actually try to do um, things that would turn them on as such. And when the two of them made love, uh, that they would seed the ground as such. And they do these horrific practices to try to make that happen. Um, so the, the foreign gods thing is nothing new to the Old Testament or nothing new to the New Testament. They've dealt with this before. I just went, We were talking about Acts earlier, and uh, Gamaliel actually is this, the guy from the Jewish clan that sees them preaching um, Jesus. And one of the arguments is they come up and say, well, there was there have been other Messianic folks, and Gamaliel, the, the good Jew, looks at it and goes, well, uh, the guy that came right for Jesus, he had 400 followers, and then it fell apart, so... If it's of God, it'll continue, and if it's not, then it'll fall apart. And I think there's something to that, and I use that as my apologetic, if you will, against the foreign God stuff. Right. Because I say, well, Jesus has been around for how long, and how's that working out for Osiris? Isn't how's it... that working out for Horus? How's that working out for um, Mithras? I couldn't even remember his name half the time. Isn't that amazing? Of course, it, it it's a good argument, but it's not. But... but um, it's so hard for people to uh, keep the truth straight. It's even harder for people to keep a lie straight. Right. And all these years, Christianity has stayed the same and Jesus has been the same. Right. And now, I know there's all kinds of arguments for the changing and stuff like that. And it does kind of make it hard on you for that argument because the next, the next step from Christianity would be Islam. And people will say, well, Islam has existed so long, and if it's wrong, then that kind of proves. But 
interesting thing. It's it's funny how everything I've been looking at is kind of coming together in this conversation. But an interesting thing is I'm starting to find in, in more studies of Islam that Muhammad right. stole a lot of his uh, theological ideas from the Gnostic uh, scriptures. Right. And right. these wrong ideas, they didn't come out of thin air. They came from other people's wrong ideas. Like there, there's Gnostic scripture talking about um, Abraham being thrown into fire. Right. And that was a mistranslation uh, from the... Was he, I think it was from the Hebrew. It was mistranslation. Because it actually stood for the city that Abraham came out of and not the fire that he came out of. Right. Well, you know what always killed me about Islam, though, is the Surah of Miriam uh, in the Quran, where it actually talks about Jesus being sinless. That one just always blows my mind. Although it's even in your own book. Yeah. But, he's, but he's not the Messiah, though. He was just... And it's funny because if you compare Jesus to, to, in the Quran, if you compare Jesus to Muhammad, Jesus was a better prophet than Muhammad. Jesus was perfect and was God's favorite um, just by how he's described. Uh, Muhammad was the total opposite of Jesus. Muhammad was a killer. What I always found interesting, Interesting, and you can you can connect this to any other than any other breed of religion. Think of it this way: Jesus is foretold right since the beginning of creation, Genesis three fifteen and following. Everyone saw it. Everybody was a part of it. There was nobody that missed the story when it happened. However, with Muhammad, with Buddha, with uh, Joseph Smith, with any other religion, somebody went and had a dream and a vision of and by themselves. Right, And then I look at Jesus and I go, this guy raised from the dead. People are even seeing him, touching him, talking to him, having fish fries with him. He's still teaching them after his death and resurrection. And it's something that people, not a whole lot of people I notice don't actually talk about, going back to the book of Acts, is how long Jesus was around until he left again. I mean, he saw hundreds of people before he left again. Exactly. And so when you compare that witness... Of all of those people into verses, Muhammad, Joseph Smith, and I, I kind of put them all in the same uh, bucket just because of how their story speaks. Mm-hmm. You know, if I had a vision and started preaching that I was the Messiah, uh, that would be a problem. But if someone was saying that for so long that uh, the Messiah would come and all of a sudden the Messiah does and fulfills everything that had been spoken about since Genesis 3.15 there's something to be said for the public witness of who Jesus was, who Jesus is, etc. Uh, versus, by the way, I just had a dream, now I'm the Messiah. Right. I actually talked to a, a pastor uh, a few weeks ago on a podcast. We were talking about the Bible, and he was talking about the the greatest and one of the biggest differences from the Bible and other holy books is the Bible was written by a ton of different people who all came to the same conclusion. Right. When you have the other holy books or the other religions, they were all written by one person. And right. it's one person's revelation. And so it's you you kind of have more accountability with the Bible because you have more people saying that this is true and which 
the other religions, you have the one person saying it, and you got to wonder why they're saying it, and how do you know that it's, right. it's actually happened? The continuity as well uh, of how those work with people that some of the folks hadn't even read certain selections that became the canon or the whole book of the Bible. But yet what they're saying, even though they don't have a reference point, is exactly in line with the fulfillment in, with, and through the person of Christ. Versus, you know, if you've got some guy writing in uh, 800 B.C., for example, and another guy writing uh, like Paul in 50 or 60 A.D., and they don't know each other, obviously, but they're preaching about the same thing, and all the prophecies that they're speaking of all point us to the same Jesus, and it's all fulfilled in the one guy, there is that sense of accountability. He's absolutely right in saying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, it's just it's just the details that you don't know on the surface that, you know, mo- most people don't hear over the rhetoric. When you start right. looking into Christianity and looking into the Bible, you're like, oh, hey, it really does come together more. I And I wonder is if, if that's because it's been so long since these revelations happened that, one, we're kind of getting numb and used to them being around, and two, they're just kind of being taken for granted. You know what I mean? Are we... Are we losing it because it's not new anymore? <laughs> well, we may be losing it because of lack of scriptural faithfulness in our lives. I always tell the congregation that, you know, you're the fifth gospel. You're the only Bible that a lot of people will read. And yeah, there's the fact that, you know, we're all sinners and we fall short. But sometimes our witness isn't what it should be in order to be that example, be Christ to folks. Uh, Romans 12 is always my, you know, we're a living sacrifice. Mm-hmm. We are an example of what Christ's love is. And also I would say that the Christian demographic is just shifting. It always has. Uh, you're seeing massive explosions of the faith in China, in Africa, and various places where the gospel has never been heard. And I think in America too many times it's been watered down to the point where folks are going, well, there's nothing to this. Right. Uh, they've heard either bad examples of it or seen bad examples of it, so they're turned off. So maybe it's just a shift. Uh, the church is surely not dying. It's exploding in various areas. And I would even argue in our own communities, uh, folks' lives are changed when they hear the gospel, no matter where they are. Yeah, and even it's definitely exploding say, outside of uh, outside of the U.S. I mean, absolutely. there there are a ton of Muslims that are coming to Christ, and there are a ton of people in China uh, and other places that aren't so used to Christianity that are sure. they're finding their faith in Jesus. Sometimes I even right. think to myself, I even think to myself, am I? Do I not get revelations from God like some of these other people do? Like these other, you know, third world people, how they really mm-hmm. experience God? Do I not get it because I'm complacent and and in my faith and I'm just used to it? I mean, I was grown up being taught. I mean, I was raised being taught about it. It, it took right. me actually understanding it to truly believe. But it, you know, it's a part with whether you want to admit it or not. It's a part of it's our laws. I mean, our laws are based off Christianity. The country was founded off of Christianity, and Christianity is the reason why we have what we have today. You know, if if our founding fathers were Muslim, <laughs> we wouldn't have the freedoms and the capitalism that we have today. Sure. Well, two things. One, Jesus never said that the American church was going to survive. He just said, "My church." Right. Uh, and the other you think about that too. The church is the people, and not necessarily the buildings that the people gather in. Right. 
Uh, the other aspect that I would say is just remember that the faith is not necessarily dying, no matter what anybody tells you. It's growing. It's just a matter of where. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of folks miss that. Where is it? Where is the church? Um, and also, when you're talking about the moral codes and the moral laws, uh, it's real simple to look at Scripture at that. The moral law, meaning like the Ten Commandments, for example, um, is written on your heart. So there is a sense of morality, no matter how far it is skewed in individual people. You know, even headhunters in, in wherever, they're, whatever island they're on, somewhere have some sense of morality, no, how, no matter how far it is skewed from the Ten Commandments, the law is still written on our heart. Um, and that holds true to a moral law as such. And that's in our actual being, not in a source outside of us. Now, when you learn the Ten Commandments, you go, oh, that's what that is that's within inside me. Uh, and that explains it. It's kind of a revealed law versus a hidden law. Uh, but right. if Scripture holds true, then morality actually comes from uh, something that's been put inside of you uh, since creation. It's like the, uh, it's the image of God that's written onto you. You don't have to be told that killing somebody is wrong to know that it's wrong. There's always a sense of wrong and right, what we call conscience. Right. Uh, any Christian would argue, well, that's just the moral law written on your heart. Isn't that kind of the difference, though, between one of the differences between humans and other animals and species that live on this world? Because if you think about it, if you walk up to a tiger and it feels like it's uh, uh, in danger, it'll kill you. And it won't feel yeah. bad about it. Now, right. a human being, oh. if you walk up to a human being, you'll get warnings. And yeah. they won't want to kill you. <laughs> you know You know what I mean? You just... There's that. There's that difference there. I mean, you're well. There's a difference between conscience and instinct. So, make, you know, we want to make sure that we make that distinction. Uh, there is definitely a difference between instinct and conscience. What I'm talking about with the moral law is more uh, conscience than, than instinct. That right. feeling of right or wrong versus the instinct to lash out, for example. So, who is Jesus, and why should we believe that Jesus is uh, the Son of God? Now, I know that this could be a days-long explanation, but I guess in right. your best pastoral nutshell, how, how would you explain that? Wow. Where do I even start? Because <laughs> um, it depends on who in the audience I'm talking to. Uh, so let's say we're talking to say we're talking to a skeptic, and this uh, skeptic could be teetering with uh, religion, not a, not a total atheist, but just a skeptic, of why is Jesus... The person that I should believe in, and and what makes Jesus different, you know, what makes him uh, more than just a different God? What is very helpful, and this is you asked for pastoral, so I'll give you the pastoral here. Normally, what happens when somebody is coming to, you know, I'll preach Jesus who died uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, and I'll point to that moral law where we've all fallen short. Pick your Ten Commandment of choice. And I think we can all agree that something is wrong with the world. Something is wrong within in us. We have that conscience that's built. There's something not right. And the answer then is Jesus. The question is, and this is my pastoral advice, is I have to get to know the person. And I apply who Jesus is to the situation at hand. Now, I can give the bold confession, Jesus is Lord, like we've talked about. I can tell you that uh, Jesus is the Son of God. I can tell you that he's the one that died on the cross for you for the forgiveness of your sins, that whatever it is that you have done is forgiven um, in Christ. 
know that you go forth from this place as a forgiven child of God, adopted as an heir to the Most High. I can use all that language. But in applying who Jesus is to a person, uh, a shepherd builds his flock one sheep at a time. And the goal is always to see how it is that Jesus works in with and through a specific person and how to give that gospel to that person. So everybody has a God. A God is defined uh, according to the first commandment, right? I should have no other gods before thee. Is anybody that I put my fear, my love, and my trust in? And so a lot of times folks have a God. So it's a matter of explaining who is the real God? Who is the one that created uh, that God? Um, who is the one that you put your fear, your love, and your tr trust in? And then I will discuss with them, what is it that you put your fear, love, and trust in? I sat down with my confirmants, which are kids that are in 7th, 8th grade. And I said, who is it that you put your fear, love, and trust in? And it was interesting to see their list of who their God was. Who do they worship as such? And for kids that age, you know, it's, it's always, well, I, I love my family. Um... I want to put my trust in my abilities, you know, the works thing. Uh, um, and then put fear, you know, they fear the wrath of their parents, which they always joke is being the fear of God. And I get the chance to talk to them and see where they're actually at in their walk of faith. And in seeing where they're in in their walk of faith, then we can apply, okay, so how does Jesus work in with and through that? Because Jesus comes to different people in different ways. How you apply the fact that the man died on the cross to your life is going to be different for every particular person. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I explain who Jesus is, it depends on the situation. And the best answer that I can give you is, well, why do you want to know? Ultimately, for it to be, you know, true truth, uh, outside of who Jesus is to you, Jesus is God and is this, this person right uh, you know the 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 savior so i mean is jesus so we can think of it this way um what kind of outlines outside of just the relationship to me like what makes me want to believe that jesus is god i mean is is jesus god or is jesus just the son of god right and how does that work mm -hmm. uh, the language for example son of god versus God himself. Uh, he sent his only begotten son into the world, right? Um, there is a sense of the role in, with, and of the Trinity uh, versus uh, the actual label. Um, and this is where you get into some more difficult issues of the Trinity. How does that work? And that's kind of what you're asking. Is he God? Is he the son of God? How does that work? And what I would simply do is give you the words of the Nicene or the Apostles' Creed, which lays it out. And that is a difficult thing to soak in. That's a very advanced teaching mm -hmm. uh, as to what that is, what that means. Is Jesus God? Well, absolutely. Fully God, fully man. Um, and here's here, here's what is outlined as who he is and what he does in the words of the Apostles Creed or the Nicene Creed. If you really want to pull out a big bad boy, we do it once a year. It's a, it's a pretty long breakdown of... Um, called the Athanasian Creed, which comes to us from the 8th century, which is a big old piece of work, um, which explains the ins and outs that, unfortunately, are only given by faith. Now, that becomes the question, how is it that you can come to understand who Jesus is? Well, through faith. Mm -hmm. And faith is given by the word that is preached. And that's what I was talking about by saying, I ask somebody, well, why do you want to know? They've heard something uh, through the preaching of the word that has brought them to the question of what is 
faith? Who is this Jesus you're speaking to? And then we can get to, hopefully, uh, the words of the creed, and that becoming the essential uh, definition of who Jesus is, what Jesus does, how he relates to me, um, all that kind of stuff. So it all comes from that under that that explanation of there's something beyond me. I mean, I always argue with folks that faith starts with with struggle. Faith starts with hearing the gospel. That's how the faith is given. Mm-hmm. And then within that faith, no matter where you're at as the seed is planted, then you have to learn, okay, this is what Jesus means today. What does Jesus always meant? If that makes any sense. Yeah. I hear you. Because I mean, I, I can give you that. I can give you that confession of faith. I mean, here's and here's what I mean by I believe, and this is complicated. Uh, the words of the Nicene Creed, for example, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and visible. And here's your Jesus part. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, uh, God of God, Light of Light very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, was made man, was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate, was suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in the Holy Christian and Apostolic Church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins and look for the resurrection of the dead and the life in the world to come. Each piece of that is so much teaching. And for the folks that are listening, you go, okay, great, he's reading off something from church. Uh, there is so much there to say that Jesus is God. However, he is also born of a virgin. And what does that mean, Right. He is also the Son of God as far as his role within the Trinity uh, because God had to become flesh to forgive you of those sins, those things that are struggling, you're struggling with that conscious peace. And he lives and never leave you nor forsake you. He walks with you so that you can learn how to live a life that is pleasing to God. So as you break that down with a person, all of a sudden they go, wow, he's the light of light because I'm living in dark right now. And you bust open John 1 and you say, he's the light of the world, right? Or you're struggling with somebody that's dealing with, um, you know, being lost. And you, you talk about Jesus saying, I'm, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Well, if you want those things that are separate from your sinful self, well, then Jesus is that to you right then and there. And let's get on board with that. Now, that is, of course, a creed that was written. Um, and some people will argue and just for argument's sake, just to play devil's advocate, the Bible doesn't say anything about a Trinity. Um, Oh, yes. So where, well, it it does, but it doesn't say the word Trinity. So where does this idea come from? And does the Bible actually specify that Jesus is God? Oh, yeah. Uh, here's an example. The Gospel of John, for example, Jesus says, I am all over the place. He's got a bunch of I am statements. He's invoking the name of God. Only God does those things that he's saying he does. Mm -hmm. Even to the point where the Pharisees and Sadducees who knew who God was and what God did were saying, "Uh uh-oh, wait a minute. He's doing God's stuff. He's saying that, in essence, he is God. I mean, how many times does he say throughout the New Testament, I am he? 
the one, the Messiah. I am the one to come. And that's blatant heresy in their eyes mm -hmm. to the point where the folks who knew who God was according to the Old Testament uh, never wanted to hear that kind of language. All of a sudden, wait a minute, hold on. This guy's being heretical. He's misusing the name of the Lord your God. And they start testing him. You know, this woman who's caught in the very act of adultery, for example, the law of Moses says we should stone such a woman. Well, what do you say? And he totally throws a, uh, a total wrench in their system. So he's, using, he's doing the things that God does. He's judging rightly. He's teaching things to them they've never heard. He's healing people. He's making the blind see. He's making the lame walk. He's fulfilling everything that the Old Testament said he would do. And so his actions are speaking a lot louder than his words, but then in his own words, he's saying it. As far as the Trinity in Scripture, it's all over the place. I mean, from the very beginning, when God creates, he says, let us create man in our own image. And then that's clarified throughout the Old Testament. I'll just use the Old Testament references. You know, Abraham and the three visitors. Who's that? Uh, the term there is, it's one Lord, but three people. Trinity just merely means three, because it's a shorthand for us to say. It may not say Trinity in the Scriptures, but there's definitely three persons there. Mm -hmm. Uh You've got the Father, you've got the Son, and you've got the Holy Spirit in many of the prayers. More so, even Jesus himself says, Go therefore and baptize in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. There's three people right there, one God. Do this. Um, it, it's, it's all over Scripture, um, the three persons. Now, there's specific roles that are laid out in different places, uh, what their job is and what they do. But yeah, it's, the Trinity is all over that. We just use Trinity as a shorthand so that folks know what we're talking about. I guess one thing that would be important to uh, point out, um, and you may be, be may be better at pointing this out than I would be, but the difference, why Jesus called himself the Son of Man and not the Son of God, because I know that there's a, there's a reasoning for that. Um, mm -hmm. Can you explain that? Sure. God made flesh. God takes on humanity, and this is, uh, you can read Philippians 2 on this. God takes on humanity for its own salvation, uh, to save humankind. He takes on the, the form of a servant, of a slave, a doulos, in order to walk with mankind, in order to teach mankind, in order to be a part of mankind. To say that he's the son of man is to say that he is a part of our salvation history. You know, for him just to be totally God to, totally takes away the purpose of him come becoming flesh for us. Uh, um and so, yeah, Son of Man is used to show his humanity. Son of God is to show his divinity. Because without both, you, you don't have redemption. Without both, you don't have the fulfillment of Scripture. And that's always the emphasis, the Scriptures being fulfilled in, with, and through the person of Jesus. And also in that time, I believe it's that they, they used the phrase Son of God because they would say that they're all sons of God. So it made Jesus different being a son of man, since we're all sons of God, those are who are saved or who follow. Right. Well, there's a difference between sons of God and the son of God. And we want to make that distinction. That's very clear. Uh, when we're talking about the son of God, you know, there would be one who would come. Uh, there is also language of, you know, the heir, the co-heirs with Christ is what I think you're making reference to there. Um, you know, we're all sons and daughters of the Most High. Uh, brothers in the faith is what you know Paul will talk about. Um, so you got to make that distinction there as to what you're talking about. Uh, obviously, the Old Testament makes the reference to the Son of Man, 
and being the guy that you're talking about, Jesus, the one, the Messiah. That's another title that he takes on. Well, thanks so much for talking uh, with us again, Seth, and, and coming back on. It's, it's always a pleasure to have you on. If you don't mind, or if you want, go ahead and give us another shout-out to your church so people know where to come if they hear you. Absolutely. Um, I'm the pastor at St. John Lutheran Church in Athens, Texas. Uh, we have a lot going on here. We'd love to have you to be a part of the ministries here at St. John. We have Bible study at 9, worship at 1030. We're open on Sundays. We're a lot like uh, 7-Eleven. We're always open. Uh, it's just a matter of when we're doing business, and we'd love to have you. Thank you, Seth, very much for coming on and joining us again. Be sure that uh, you tell all your friends about a real God. Subscribe, follow, share. Just uh, help us get the name out there. And as always, keep your mind sharp and your eyes on Jesus. <laughs>